Welcome to episode two of the Noid Knowledge Podcast. I'm Meg LaRue, Group Editorial Director of Cannabis Science and Technology Magazine and your podcast co-host. And I'm Evan Friedman, Vice President of Scientific Cell Company and your other co-host for the Noid Knowledge Podcast. On this month's episode, we have the pleasure of speaking with Michelle Finzel, President of Maryland Marketing Source Incorporated, as well as the co-founders of Eighth Revolution, Managing Director Brian Fields and Chief Scientific Officer Kellen Finney. Our conversation is broken up into two parts, but the overall theme is the data and trends we saw in 2021 and how that plays into the cannabis market for 2022. In my own publication, our top five articles for the year touched on a few different areas, but hemp research limitations and sampling rules played a big part. We also saw a lot of reader interest in the best choice for substrate when growing cannabis. On the extraction side, readers were interested in the evolution of ethanol extraction. It's clear that the industry is taking steps to prepare for more changes in 2022, and knowledge is power in terms of how each player will create sustainable, reliable products for the consumer. Absolutely. And given that, I'd just like to share with our listeners that AOAC has their call for papers out right now for the annual meeting in August. The call is open until January 18th, and the details will be in the show notes. It will be really interesting to see how 2022 shapes up for the cannabis industry. What new trends will pop up? How will the industry adapt to changing regulations and legalization? This episode should help prepare us for some of those tough questions Let's jump in with our guests and expand your Noid knowledge. Hello, podcasters. In the first part of this episode, we'll be speaking with Michelle Finzel, president of Maryland Marketing Source, Inc. Michelle is here to discuss a recent survey she conducted at the 2021 Cannabis Science Conference East in partnership with Cannabis Science and Technology. Thanks for joining us today, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's jump right in. As Evan just mentioned, you conducted a very interesting survey with us at the Cannabis Science Conference East in September 2021. Can you tell our listeners a little about the survey from a user experience and the methodology used to conduct it? Sure. Yes, we were very glad to partner with you on this project. The goal was to understand more about what those people who are interested in cannabis science have in common. You know how they view the industry, what some of the pain points they may have would be, what they have in common, and what maybe they don't have in common that people need to know about. What we did is we used an online survey, which is a quantitative market research methodology, so think stats and percentages, and it was a small base size we conducted among those who attended the conference and uh, sent it out to your readership as well, but we think the small base size worked really well for our current needs. Great. So uh, what were some of the highlights from the survey on the medical cannabis patient side? The patient side I thought was really interesting. One third of the patients we interviewed reported that they are not comfortable with their own dosing needs. And that really stood out to me, especially because two out of 10 of those participants, only two out of 10 of those participants reported that they work with a medical professional. So while the majority of our survey respondents say they do chat with friends and family, they don't do so with medical professionals to learn about what their needs might be. That's, that's interesting. And um, I think is very revealing of the frustration that even medical patients feel uh, in this sort of gray area that we live in right now between state-based legalization and federal prohibition still. Do, Do you have anything more to add around that? Not from the patient side. I, I, I just think that what was interesting to me is how easily they will chat with friends and family about it. The majority of them were quite comfortable doing so. But again, it, it reminds me of those commercials that are out there about, you know, ask the questions of your doctor. You know, you can speak to medical professionals about your cannabis needs and about what your medical health situation is. But I feel like there might be some social hindrances there. Can you tell us some of the highlights on the medical professional side? 
Sure. We, we did speak with some medical providers and professionals at the conference. I thought it was interesting that the diagnosis for which they most often recommend medical cannabis is chronic pain. And I know before I was just like, you always hear for cancer patients, for cancer patients, but it, they mostly diagnose for chronic pain and then for PTSD or mental health needs. So it's not necessarily just for a specific medical DX code that it's for pain, it's for emotional support. And not surprisingly, the majority of those professionals feel that there's not enough scientific research being conducted where cannabis is concerned. They said that their main hope is that they can begin clinical trials in the next five to 10 years. Though so that still seems really far away to me. That, that seems extremely far away to me, especially considering uh, my status as a chronic pain medical cannabis user. I would love for there to be more insight around dosing and cultivar or chemotype selection. Uh, I feel that uh, most uh, medical professionals uh, at least until very recent graduates got absolutely zero training on the endocannabinoid system uh, and the application of phytocannabinoids as medicine. Um, did, did any of them, any of these medical providers make uh, any statements or, or questions about the establishment of independent review boards or the advancement of uh, acceptable uh, material for these clinical trials? Well, since the study was quantitative, not qualitative, we didn't ask any qu open-ended questions. So we couldn't really get into, and qualitative research is focused is more, focuses more on that anecdotal experience. Tell me what you're thinking. Tell me why you feel this way. Tell me what your experiences are that lend you to these behavioral change, the behaviors you make, the choices you make. Um, for the quantitative purposes of this study, we just asked questions where they gave they had to choose an answer that was already provided to them. And when we asked them specifically what would they would like to see happen regarding medical cannabis in the next five to 10 years, clinical trials stood out above all other options. Next behind that though was dosing protocols. The, their need for more research on dosing protocols, longitudinal studies, medical reimbursement, they followed suit. That's the, that's very interesting. Uh, so I, I understand that you are relatively new to the cannabis space. The, these, the, this research skill set is something that you bring from outside of cannabis and, and are starting to apply here. So mm -hmm. as a relatively uh, new entrant into this space, did any of these results that, that you collected from this study uh, surprise you on the medical side? Honestly, yes. I was really surprised by how disconnected patients and providers feel from one another and from all other aspects of the industry. They, they seem to have the same goals and the same expectations. Obviously, patients want to feel well. Providers want their patients to feel well. There's this product here that has so many possibilities for helping them, and there are still walls up in between help preventing them from meeting in the middle. And there needs to be a lot more research done helping to figure out how to bridge these gaps between the patients and the, the medical professionals who want to help them. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think if we um, were to do another survey, I would definitely wanna ask more questions to medical professionals and patients to, to try to dig in a little deeper on, on some of these disparities and see how we can kind of bring them together somehow. That's one of the benefits of conducting small studies like this. It really helps you just check the pulse and figure out which direction is best to go in when it comes to figuring out the gaps in information. It really helps us determine where to follow up. So you're not just throwing everything out a huge net and collecting whatever you happen to catch. This helps us figure out specifically where to target. So um, a big part of our readership, as most of you know, is analytical testing. And we did ask some questions targeted 
to that area. So could you give us some of those highlights and um, some of the biggest concerns that analytical testing respondents shared? Sure. It sort of followed suit after the medical professionals and the patients. The, the lack of testing standards stood out as the largest, most major concern among those focused on the analytical side. The, and they believe that the general public is not well enough informed about the need for cannabis testing. So not only is the public at large uninformed about the industry, uninformed about their options, those patients who are a part of it are uninformed about their own needs and what is available to them. But what they don't understand about the need for testing, I think, is monumental because when you are working with a medical professional for medical cannabis, it's not the same thing as filling a prescription and going to your local pharmacy or food store to get it. There's not the level of regulation that they expect. And it's, it's not necessarily safe for people like me who are new to the industry to have that lack of knowledge about what's being done. You, you're absolutely right, Michelle. And I think there's probably even more to it that with some, some qualitative questions, you can probably tease out even further. I, I think one of the, the biggest issues that's, that's buried in, in that answer that you gave is standards for testing methodology. There are some standards. Each state has its own set of standards, which is part of the issue. There is no universal federal guidance or global guidance on what should be included in testing. And so you see some states, they have lists of pesticides they test for that are dozens more compounds than are used on this kind of plant. Um, but that was how those regulators selected. Uh, the, the issue really comes down to education of the regulators and their access to that education. And unfortunately, that hasn't been nearly as robust as uh, we'd like it to be, especially as patients. My biggest frustration uh, along these lines is that the regulations for the medical program here in New York are that the terpene results from the testing aren't allowed to be shared. So the critical information for determining dosing and chemotype or cultivar selection for uh, condition treatment is actually by law excluded from the patients and the medical providers. So this is this this, this is a very complex problem, and I, I'm glad that you, your survey was able to tease some of this out. And pesticide screening did come up among those with an analytical focus, as far as one of the most challenging testing types for them to conduct after followed by potency. Surely. So with, with my mouthful of stuff, let me ask you, how do surveys such as this one and social science in general help people better understand this industry and industries in general? Well, well like you said, Evan, data is everything nowadays. And when the data that's critical to the people involved in an industry like medical cannabis is being excluded by law, there has to be other ways to get this information to the people who need it so that everyone involved is best served. And I think social science, I think market research is the way to go about that. And with data being everything, it can't just be big data. It has to be the right data. Without the federal oversight, as you said, everything is so localized. You need to go to those local communities, to the dispensaries, to the patients, and talk to those who are directly impacted by everything. And in so doing, the businesses, the business operations that are involved they can use market research to help make informed decisions, to help them learn more about what their patients know, learn what those information gaps are, how to fill those in. 
And it helps all those brands, services, products, et cetera, everyone involved in the industry that can discover the benefit of using qualitative and quantitative market research services to help them better understand their consumers and to help them from a business standpoint, broaden their industry reach. That's great. We're going to be highlighting some of the um, data from this survey in our January and February issue. So I'm excited to share that with our readers so they can um, dig in a little deeper on some of the, the data and the stats that we got from the survey. Um, is there anything else you'd like to add, Michelle? Yeah, Meg, thanks. I, I want to stress that while this study was tiny, it really did highlight some of the key obstacles that the people who want to see the cannabis industry thrive continue to have to contend with. And there are so many questions still to ask. So much to learn from patients who want to just feel better to the growers who need to know what the public needs from them. And eventually, in, in my opinion, cannabis will become the next big, the next big commodity, big auto, big telecom, maybe even part of big pharma in some way. And I think market research is necessary to anyone who wants to be a part of making it big with them. That makes perfect sense. Uh, how can you know what to do without some kind of, of research or insight? Makes All of the industries use, it, use research. Uh, ab absolutely. No, you're 100% you're right, of course. Everybody uses research. Um, and you said it earlier, big data is the name of the game for most people uh, or most successful corporations these days. And uh, well, the MSOs and the LPs in this industry obviously are doing their own uh, research to some degree. It's the smaller players, the uh, single state vertically integrated groups that uh, really need this kind of research to understand how to uh, outmaneuver these these big corporations uh, mm -hmm. because that that is the beautiful uh, advantage that these small players have is that they can be far more nimble and responsive to what the market really desires. Exactly, and it's the best way to truly help patients who just want to feel well, as well as to leverage your consumers for from a business standpoint. Wonderful. Thanks for being with us today, Michelle. We really appreciate having your insight on this survey and how it relates to the overall cannabis market. Thank you, Meg and Evan, for having me. It was great working with the team on this project. Thanks again to Michelle for sharing her insights with us. Now we'll be moving on to part two of this episode, where we'll be speaking with Eighth Revolution's co-founders, Managing Director Brian Fields and Chief Scientific Officer Kellen Finney. Brian and Kellen will share some of the trends they witnessed this year across the cannabis industry with a particular focus on cannabis science and offer some predictions for 2022. Thank you both for joining us today. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. So I'm curious to know more about Eighth Revolution. Can you tell us about your company? How did you get started in the cannabis industry? What role do you play within the industry and what are your goals for the future? Sure. So I'll dive short right into it. Uh, Eighth Revolution provides professional services from capital to cannabinoid and everything in between. And our role in the space is to be dynamic problem solvers. As most of us know, the industry is challenging. It's fragmented. It's got various obstacles state by state. There's just endless issues to deal with. And the value that Kellen and I bring in is we're fast, dynamic problem solvers that come in, can analyze, and can immediately look to a solution and we look to implement best practices through experience and through rigorous research that we put together. And one of the areas that we kind of aggregate most of our thoughts is through our monthly playbook, which kind of summarizes the industry from a forward-looking approach and that analyzes the space and kind of digests it into, into an approach to allow operators and outside executives to get a pulse on what's happening in the cannabinoid industry. Kellen, you have anything to add to that? Um, the only thing I would add is that uh, being an operator in the cannabis space can be really challenging with the speed that the industry moves, not only from um, a regulatory standpoint, but also a, a technology implementation standpoint. Um, the science is ever evolving and it can be really challenging working in that space to keep up with the macro trends that are occurring 
um, and kind of like the, the real world, if you will, you kind of get siloed into, from my experience, you get siloed into your own company and kind of that, that micro environment that you're operating in. And, and eighth revolution is truly there to help, um, these executives that have their heads down and they're just grinding to kind of help them understand what's going on from a, a larger landscape perspective and, and that macro understanding of, of what's going on in a global, a global market perspective. I, I love that. And uh, you really, you put it just how I was thinking. Um, you, you guys put out uh, an awesome playbook every month called the cannabinoid monthly playbook. Uh, and I feel like that's just the tip of the iceberg of that macro kind of view you can offer. Uh, and it comes with all sorts of insights. Uh, are, are there some insights from, from this month's edition that, that you want to call out? I mean, there's, there's various ones. I think one of the, the biggest challenge for us when aggregating this is that there's so much to kind of digest and break down from a month to month standpoint that the report continues to grow in size. And if I had to kind of select a couple, uh, items that I thought would be the most valuable, I would say kind of analyzing from a financial standpoint, the understanding of different variables when launching a product and how that works from a state by state standpoint. So we, we use predictive nature such as variables and, and weather temperatures and understandings of the com critical components of, of certain products to try to make forecasts and predictions for future growth trends in certain markets. So if you're looking to kind of expand your market share in a new area and launch a new product, here are certain variables that you might not have considered originally that you probably should take a, a second to think about. Yeah, I think one uh, uh, specific number that kind of stood out to us um, that we're going to discuss in our January uh, issue of our monthly report would be the the significant drop off of California's um, taxable income from cannabis sales. There's a 12% drop um, in Q3, which typically Q3 has historically been the strongest year over displayed the strongest year over year growth um, from at least in the California market. So we're, we're going to dive into some, uh, some, um, explanations potentially surrounding why there was a significant decrease, a double digit percent drop in revenue is kind of, a, a large quantity when you're dealing with billions of dollars, um, in sales, if you will. So th that's one, um, specific stat that we're looking forward to kind of enlightening the executives, if you will, um, in January moving forward. Got, gotta love, you know, shedding some light on a head scratcher. Yeah, exactly. To mix a metaphor. <laughs> um, so how did your 2021 trends and the results that your team saw play into the predictions that you might be making for next year? Oh, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, the, the cannabis industry is incredibly fast, which sometimes the predictions could be, you know, kind of finalized in Q1, just given the nature or could be pushed out all the way to 2024. I think for me personally, I'm looking for associations with cannabinoids in different areas. I think what we've seen recently is a big push with CBN and sleep. And I know everyone's kind of linking those two together and sure there can be some more research on that. But I think what I'm most bullish about and what I think will happen is there'll be a bigger push for maybe other cannabinoids in like the fitness area. And I think you'll have a big push with associations of cannabinoids and in specific areas. And I think that is one of the trends that I think the miners will be a real big explosion if we look back a year from now and say, wow, this cannabinoid really took up and really became the new front and center CBD, CBG, CBN. Yeah, I agree with Brian. I think that, um, I think Evan, you actually shared an article with me that showed the University of Colorado Boulder is conducting um, studies right now on the impact of ingesting cannabinoids and exercise. So I think you're going to see a huge proliferation of products that are targeted towards more health conscious uh, individuals. And I think that'll also um, lead to massive growth in these uh, product categories that aren't getting the same kind of um, love that, say, flour gets from a, a monetization standpoint. That's so interesting. So what 
kind of results are people like looking for with, with using cannabinoids for exercise? Is it like weight loss or just like performance enhancing? I'm not a doctor, so I'm just going <laughs> to put that at the front of what I say next. But my, if I had to guess, my guess would be that when you smoke weed, your eyes get red, right? Which is a sign it's a vasodilator, right? So it's expanding your capillary beds, allowing for more blood flow. And when you're allowing for more blood flow, you are potentially delivering more red blood cells to that target area, right? So I, my guess would be that there could potentially be some sort of benefit from an increased blood flow and increased transportation of say oxygen to, to muscles if you're ingesting a vasodilator. Um, that's my, my guess, but again, I'm not a medical professional. So I, I have an approach from a non-scientific side. I think All people right. have been using pre-workout for since the beginning of time, and they're looking for some sort of stimulant to kind of help lock them in during their workout. And obviously some of us have consumed cannabinoids and have felt really locked in. And I think that'll be a big area. And then kind of piggybacking off that is post-workout from a recovery standpoint. I think that's the area where people really kind of see some of these breakthroughs. Some of these top performing athletes and influencers are spending multi millions of dollars a year on their bodies for physical fitness. And if they can have a, a tailored ECS approach with cannabinoids for themselves that help them recovery and get that extra, extra inch on top of their performance, I mean, it's a no brainer. Yeah. You see the golf industry really has kind of been the main sports, main sport, in my opinion, that has been the most uh, open to adopting or implementing can cannabinoid use in their uh, daily fitness regimens. Well, we saw the, the Olympian, right? She, yeah. I, for, I can't say her name because I'll definitely stumble uh, yeah. through it, but she got suspended for performance enhancer and there was outrage of that. And I think sometimes what happens is it takes someone like that to, to be on a main stage to unfortunately have an event happen where people then decide, you know what? Maybe we should revisit these regulations. Maybe the cannabinoid can help people maybe it can be a performance enhancer but it's not the type of performance enhancer it's currently grouped into so we need to kind of look inwards of adjusting these rules agreed that's that's a, a lot of insight altogether i very much appreciate it uh let's let's shift gears a little bit uh we we've talked about adoption of cannabinoids wider in other areas what about new cannabinoids are are there other molecules coming to the market uh are there are they going to overwhelm the popularity of cbd are they going to open new verticals like yeah, tell me what are your thoughts I have a bunch of thoughts. Brian, if you want to go first. Yeah, I mean, Ev, like before we kind of dissect that, like when we're talking about new cannabinoids, where are we grouping them in? Because at this point right now, there's like the miners that are like the popular miners, the CBC, the CBG, CBN, and then THCV can kind of push into Yeah, that right. Category. What about the V series? But, but that's where that's where it starts to get crazy is you start moving down this ladder and the list of cannabinoids just continues to grow. And then we had someone on our podcast who's like, there's, <laughs> there's cannabinoids that don't have names. And it's like, well, that's pretty wild. Like, yeah, I did hear that. Like, it was like 5G, 412, like, it's whatever. Like Elon Musk's son was. name, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly what it was. So, like, I mean, how, like, the, the amount of research that needs to go in to figure out, like, what these all are and the value they play, I mean, Good luck out there, but there's tons of opportunities. And I think that's the most exciting part right now is that we're still such in the infancy stage that there's so much to uncover from a scientific standpoint, which makes the future of this industry just so exciting. Yeah, and my opinion on the minor cannabinoid situation is there is there will be a new hot minor cannabinoid that comes out that people are talking about. And I mean, it'll just be another acronym. And I think it'll generate some publicity, but as far as like use case goes, the direct benefit from consuming cannabinoids or that result is really, really hard to tie to a specific metric. THC, okay, yes, we understand that it is psychoactive. So when someone ingests it, they will feel some sort of um, result from, from ingesting it in their body, right? CBD has been a lot more challenging to kind of gain the same 
traction as the THC molecule, right? If you just look at the the THC industry from a addressable market is 22 billion in 2021, and the CBD industry from a global perspective is less than two billion, right? Like it, it's it's chat, like when we talk about what new exciting cannabinoid will will be out there, there's gonna be a, a list of thousands of them, right? Like we don't even there's ones that don't even have the name. But as far as like consumer adop- adoption of specific cannabinoids. I think that that is a seriously longer timeline. I mean, if you just look at CBG, I mean, three, four years ago, CBG was was uh, the new sexy cannabinoid in the room. And, and CBN was also the new sexy cannabinoid in the room too, even five years ago. People were like, oh, if you overcook distillate, you make a bunch of CBN, right? And so five years ago, they knew about these things we're now just seeing products hit the marketplace, right? Because this, the conversation and talking about a sexy new molecule is one thing, but the actual implementation and building a supply chain, creating a, a, a product that's safe, it's tested, that meets regulatory requirements. I mean, we just saw what happened with the entire Delta 8 market in the course of 18 months, right? It went from no one knowing how to make it to every CBD company on the planet probably has an SOP that is in place to convert their CBD isolate to Delta-8. Now the CDC and the, what was the other government regulate or the other third-party regulation body? The FDA wrote warning letters regarding Delta-8. Now, now it's completely illegal to manufacture in Colorado, according to the Colorado Department of Health, right? And so that all Same happened New within, York. right? That all happened within 12 months, right? We saw this huge, everyone's excited about Delta-8, got exciting, market blows up, people are selling infused beverages with Delta-8, and now it's illegal to manufacture 12 months later, right? So the the conversation about what exciting new cannabinoid is going to hit the, the, the consumer marketplace, I think has to be kind of, um, there has to be a, lo- a line drawn that says, hey, this is exciting from a pharmacokinetic standpoint. Consumers won't be able to touch it with their hands for 10 years. This is exciting for what the consumers can potentially touch next year, right? And and so I think the answer to that question, if we're talking about cannabinoid molecules that the consumers will be able to ingest next year, I think the most exciting one is CBN, personally, right? I, I, anecdotally, it works to help. It helps with sleep. Personally, I've ingested CBN and it makes you very sleepy. Like no questions asked. Very, thank very you, sleepy. Thank you so much for giving yourself the science. <laughs> someone had to well, right <laughs> well i mean I, 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 you're you're not alone i'm no, pretty sure too. you had a conversation with ben at vertosa who who gave himself to science in a much more uh robust fashion yes he's much more open <laughs> <laughs> thank everyone for their service yeah so I, th- please that's my opinion ahead. that's my I, opinion what do you think evan do you think that it will be uh a regular I, cannabinoid like a, a CBN, or do you think it's going to be more of an abstract, and we're going to see kind of the same Delta Eight scenario play out again, but with a different acronym? I I actually think that we're going to see some uh, some more uh, diverse formulation. I, I think uh, all of this single molecule into a beverage or, or into some kind of formulation. Uh, is too far away from what the experience from whole flower is. And yeah, uh, uh, if, if you're going after recovery, uh, there's, there's a lot of aspects in, in the plant that aid recovery and you need terpenes and you need, uh, you probably need flavonoids. We don't know that much about them. Maybe the thiols play, play their part, but, uh, it's, it's the polypharmacy of, the the plant that actually provides benefit it's it's a case of the sum of the parts being greater than the whole once again and i i think it's not exactly fair to call it the entourage effect uh um i'm pretty sure uh it came from a guy named uh jeff tarrant he called it the ensemble effect because everybody's playing their role. It's not just one, one central character and the hangers on. Like everybody has a role to play. And the teeniest, tiniest cannabinoid can have a way outsized impact. So I think 2022, we're going to see more, more blending. Uh, that's a, and, that's a good and, 
And sure. I think we'll probably see uh, some of that V series coming out. I think the THCV yeah. is is about ready to jump onto the scene and show us some uh, some some anti munchie activity. I like that, Megan. What's your opinion on this? Um, you know, I think it's tough. Really, I, I'm not good at predicting the future. I kind of just study what's going on currently, but I think you have to really keep in mind the consumer and the patients. And there's still a lot of people that are completely new to this and they might be afraid of something altering their state of mind. And I think that's why CBD has played so well in the market with consumers. Um, so, you know, that being said, I could, I could definitely see CBG, CBN being the next thing for patients like that. Um, and then, you know, on the recreational side, it's, you know, anything goes. Yeah, I kind of <laughs> <laughs> it's, Kind of scary too. <laughs> yes, definitely. Um, so I'd like to take take a break here and just not a break, um, change tracks a little bit and talk about your podcast, The Dime. So could you tell us a little bit about that and what kind of um, trends you're seeing there? What were your top episodes related to cannabinoids and, can and cannabis science? Sure. So The Dime, um, its central focus is, is really all things cannabis. We, we really don't take an approach on a specific topic. I think one of the things that most of our listeners really enjoy is that each week will be something really different, and they're not really sure what it'll be. So we have everything from publicly traded CEOs to leading scientists in the space uncovering you know recent research, cannabinoids for cancer, breakdowns of the uh, endocannabinoid system, and everything kind of in between. And I think one of the things that makes us unique is Kellen and I's different backgrounds kind of blend to a different style approach that allows for a multi-style conversation where you're going to get different in-depth conversations where you're going to kind of peel back the layer with some of the experts leading the space and kind of hopefully uncover a different style approach, conversational approach, so you feel like you're in the room with us. Yeah, I think Brian just encompassed exactly what uh, the podcast's uh, main focus is. Yeah, and it's it's weird too because like from a data standpoint, I'm always interested to know which episodes are doing the best so that we can kind of track those. And so far, our one and two are uh, Fabian Monaco, CEO of Gage, a uh, publicly traded company, and then Matt Moore of a deep dive into Delta Eight that we released almost two years ago continues to be like the hottest podcast. It just continues to circle through and people continue to find new insights into it. I think as Delta Eight continues to unravel and people. Um, see some of those areas, they kind of lean back on some of the previous conversations and they recognize the challenges that Delta 8 brings to the space. Oh, that's that's a great place to go. So uh, Delta 8, Delta 9, Delta 10. Uh, I mean, I read lots of these papers. I talk to lots of these people. I am still confused. I listened to that episode with Matt Moore uh, several times, and, and I know Matt knows what he's talking about. Oh, I'm man. still confused. So please tell me what you guys think is the biggest misunderstanding around these uh, anisomers. Are they anisomers? Are they antimers? I, they're, I, they're, I, isomers. they're isomers. They're isomers. And antimers has to do with chirality. Which uh, is, I won't get into it, but yeah, they're different. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chirality is much different subject than that. They're, they're, uh, they're isomers of each other. And I think that it's important for the listeners um, that we establish what is meant by the simple delta. So delta in chemistry is used to describe, in this case, is used to describe the location of a double bond, right, based on IUPAC, which is uh, standard naming protocol for all um, molecules in chemistry. And so when they say delta 9, delta 8, delta 10, the structure of the molecule is almost identical. The molecular weight is identical. What they're referring to is the location of the double bond has now moved from the ninth carbon to the 10th carbon or the eighth carbon. Um, the excitement around all of these isomers is that they, because they're this very, very similar shapes to Delta 9 THC, which is what the plant makes, that they have similar pharmacokinetic activity. So you can ingest Delta 8 and get a, a similar experience that you would if you ingested Delta 9. But the kicker is that the law, the federal law, says that only Delta 9 is illegal. 
So it's this loophole, right? Where it is technically almost an identical molecule, but it's not because we move some electrons around. And so we're able to circumnavigate the law as it's written right now. And so a smart lawyer could probably get someone who's selling Delta-8 out of any charges for selling THC because technically it's a different molecule. And so that's where this whole proliferation of the Delta-8, Delta-9, Delta-10, all these different deltas of the THC molecule comes from. And right now we're seeing Delta-10 kind of start its rise because, in my opinion, because they've made Delta-8 illegal. And so like, it's just another, it's another synthesis from uh, CBD to Delta 10 versus Delta eight, right? So they're now, it's just, it's a cat and mouse game at this point, right? We're just moving a double bond around and they're like, now it's illegal. It's, it's <laughs> just so interesting that um, representationally such a small change can yeah. have su such uh, such a ripple effect through society, such such an impact on on its effect when ingested. Because yeah, it's a similar effect, but uh, I've I've had some Delta Eight, and it's more mild. It's different. I think it actually helps with um, pain better than Delta Nine does. Um, I haven't had the chance to consume any Delta 10, but my understanding is it is much more psychoactive, potentially even psychedelic in nature. And, and we're literally just talking about moving the position of an electron inside of a, a fixed molecular system already. Like it's, science is pretty cool. Uh, uh, science is fantastic, but like, how did these operators out in the field um, that didn't know the difference between these molecules 18 months ago go and, and make such a, a subtle and refined change to their SOP to now be making Delta 10 instead of Delta 8? So now that the synthetic world has joined with the cannabinoid world, I would say that they have individuals who have been brought in who are PhD organic chemists. So like being able to make that small change is not, it's, it's elementary for them, right? From a, a organic synthetic perspective. And so originally Delta-8 came on to the industry from uh, efforts to remediate the color of THC distillate, right? And I actually, this I stumbled upon Delta-8 synthesis myself, right? By using bleaching earth. So bleaching earth is, is dirt, but it's used in all vegetable oil manufacturing processes, right? And they, they take the bleaching earth and they throw it in vegetable oil that's been oxidized and then they add steam. And it, literally, this is why all vegetable oil looks the same. I know this is too much information for you guys, but like, we're oh, here now. Right. We're here, we're here now. <laughs> and so long story short, you go buy bleaching earth to try to reproduce the same chemistry that they do in vegetable oil industry. And the bleaching earth actually changes the acidity of the oil and facilitates the isomerization of Delta nine to Delta eight. And so I did this whole entire situation where I added bleaching earth to THC distillate and I went through a short path distillation process and I got distillate that looked like it was called aqua clear at the time. So it looked like water clear right on Instagram. And I got it and I was like, heck yeah, that looks very similar to what they're taking photos of on Instagram. And I sent it to a lab and they literally said it was 0% Delta nine THC. And I was like, <laughs> well, that doesn't make any sense. And it actually, it took me working with the lab to figure out that it was Delta eight. And this was two and a half, three years ago, and or maybe even more. This was in like the middle of the summer of 2018. Okay. Then I, I mean, no, the summer of 2017, actually. But, but Ev, I want to ask a you a pretty successful conversion. There, there was yeah. no Delta nine in there at all. Huh? Yeah. So that's, <laughs> they just, and that, and that was converting Delta nine to Delta eight. Right now, the proliferation of Delta eight is a direct result of CBD companies having inventory they can't sell. Period. Yeah, for sure. And Evan, that's where I wanted to ask you. I, I think when you try to look for trends, you try to figure out why something rose in popularity. And I wonder here in New York, I know Delta 8 kind of was super popular, but the reasons were because they couldn't get 
access product right and because of that they could buy it readily available online and consume it so i wonder as more states come online if delta 8 kind of lowers its popularity and then i would love to see a comparison let's say in colorado and california and arizona and massachusetts and and see a breakdown see if delta 8 is rising in popularity i think it'll have its place somewhere but I think it's really more popular here in the the non-rec states. But eventually, I think it'll it'll find its lower like lower in the chain. Yeah, I mean, I know it's not popular here in Colorado, right? Like, yeah, but there's a reason right? why. Because you can go buy the re- regular molecule. I think this is my guess. If CBD gets rescheduled, you're going to see the Delta Eight Delta Ten market completely disappear. Because right now, I think that they're only you can only go buy a Delta Eight product or a Delta Ten product because these companies were sitting on warehouses full of CBD isolate and they're like, okay, we either close our doors and the business go and we go out of business or we find a way to sell the CBD and you can easily convert CBD to Delta eight and Delta 10, which generates revenue. Right. And so, but if they're able to sell their CBD to, and it's rescheduled and now they have a global platform that CBD is accepted by the FDA as a nutraceutical, it changes the entire dynamic of, of the, the minor cannabinoid landscape, in my opinion, I could be wrong, but like, that's my, that's my prediction. No, I think you're right there. And I think if they don't do that, I think you'll, and they outlaw Delta eight, Delta 10, I think people will continue to find a new model. Yeah. It'll be a cat and mouse. It'll be a cat and mouse. It's just going to continue on. Yeah. That was my question. Um, Sorry to jump in there. No, please Meg. If, is there, are there other deltas out there? Like, are we going to keep seeing this? Like, is there going to be like a Delta 11, Delta 12, or will they have like different names? Like how, how far they, can this go? Oh, it's, it's a endless rabbit hole, right? No, there's only so many, you can only, move, I'm trying to do the math in my head, but you can only move the, the double bond so many times. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. But then you can start doing it on the V series and the P series. And, oh, you're right. 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 And you can, you can make, um, you can start hydrogenating these molecules and you can make them into acetates, right? THC, O acetate is on the rise. For sure. For sure. Oh, it's, it's there. Yeah. And then I you, mean, think, but... you think about the regulators, right? And like the, them trying to figure out what is safe and what's not and understand the information. It's nearly impossible for them to be making forward thinking decisions because they're in a reactive mode every time, right? They're sitting around, they're like, all right, Delta eight illegal. Boom. And then next thing you know, Delta 10 pops up. Boom. Next thing they're just continually chasing the dragon, which is probably not a good saying, but at the end of the day, like that's what they're doing. <laughs> it's true. And like, they're also, they can't just make it illegal to make it illegal. Like they have to go Man, find a reason. Know. Like Delta eight is currently illegal to manufacture. The molecule is not illegal in Colorado. It's manufacturing it because they were using all these gnarly solvents that are carcinogenic compounds that are unhealthy for you to make the compound and sell it. And they had no regulations to ensure that it was clean. So they were like, okay, you just can't make it anymore. So like, they're going to keep playing this game forever until, I mean, and that's what, that's what's kind of scary about it right now from a cat and mouse standpoint until in my opinion, until you eliminate the need for companies to play this game from a wild, wild west standpoint. I, I, I have one more curiosity about Delta eight because uh, in, uh, in my medical dispensary here in New York, uh, along they, sell some, they sell Delta Eight. They You're sell kidding. they they sell select brand Delta Eight in a select. cartridge. Select, yeah. oh wow! Right, so Cure Leaf is making Delta Eight and calling it medicine. I mean, it makes sense though because Cure Leaf, like and I get it's that medical. They right? have, no, but Cure Leaf has a massive hemp play too. Right on the other side of their like their company holding company, they have a huge. They have select CBD too, right? And so they are sitting on the same amount of inventory that every other CBD company is sitting on, and they're like, well, if everyone else is playing this game, we're gonna play the same game too, right? So I, that makes sense to me now that Curly. But continue, sorry, I didn't need to. Well, it's, so I'm I'm just curious, you know, in, in New York where we have a pretty restrictive medical system, there it's it's combustionless. Or, or at least it was until about six weeks ago. Um, a, a, is do, is there known medical value for for Delta Eights? I know uh, that Delta Eights more like from a. I don't know about medical value. I think that's a, a very hard. I don't think anyone could really answer that question right now. I know from a, a thermodynamic perspective, Delta Eight is more stable than Delta Nine. That's that's interesting. 
Uh, and and allegorically, it sounds like it is less likely to produce the sort of hangover effects that some people feel with, with Delta 9. Do you know, I, I heard that. Do you know why? I had a different experience with it. I didn't have a good experience. I had like cobwebs in my head, it felt like. It just felt like a, it, I didn't feel great after. And then... The worst part after I consumed it, obviously speaking to Matt, I was like, I don't want to consume these products ever again. And, yeah, you know, really. You know, when he's talking about the challenges and someone as intelligent as him talking about how hard it is to accomplish something, and it just makes you wonder, is it worth consuming this product when I can just select another one? Yeah, I mean, think back to the the talk that was given at MJ Biz to Science Symposium this year, right? Like, if that doesn't deter yeah. you from consuming Delta 8 products right now, then, like, nothing will deter you. You know I, what I mean? Like, that's yeah, it's fair. Fair. <laughs> like, you know, contaminants and byproducts. And that's literally, it boils down to why, this goes back to why pharmaceutical, the pharmaceutical industry is so highly regulated. Because when you're making new chemicals, a bunch of things happens and you only need one and you got to purify it. And that's why pharmaceuticals are expensive because they have to ensure that the drug you're taking is just that drug that you're taking and not all the other stuff that happens when they make it, you know? Good point. It doesn't surprise me that you called out your arch nemesis pharmaceuticals. In but like, <laughs> it doesn't surprise me that you're on your soapbox again against them. I mean, listen, you're taking your fight to them in a different podcast. It's it's like I respect platform, same fight. I love it. No, that's not fair, Brian. I'm no, pretty doesn't... sure Kelly was, was siding with pharma this time. Thank you. <laughs> Brian or, likes Or to... at least the FDA. Yeah. <laughs> One of the two. Who knows? <laughs> well to get to the end of the cat and mouse do you guys think it would have to be like full legalization and and kind yes. of the cannabis adopting a pharma model yeah i think that psychologically speaking the consumer is only purchasing delta 8 and delta 10 because they can't get delta 9 and they want to get high so agreed yeah I think that's the biggest takeaway that everyone should take from this is that people want to get high and they want to consume these type of products. And the the sooner we make them readily available for them that are safe and tested, the better for everyone involved. And until yes. we do that, we'll continue to have issues with some of these other products and other cannabinoids come through and just be a challenging catch-up environment. So, so from a public safety uh, harm reduction view, uh, the regulating all all of this is actually making it more dangerous for people yeah i think that honestly we should just let everyone smoke weed and the world would be a better place i mean they're essentially <laughs> doing that by just letting the states decide when that's available and it's just going to take longer and longer but i think as this goes on things will will continue to move faster and faster i agree great um is there anything else you guys want to add or any other predictions for next year uh, I think if you're interested in reading predictions, you're going to have to wait and read them. I'm not going to drop them all. But in January, we'll release our monthly playbook with our, our 2022 predictions. And I think we went four or five, our 2021, pretty pretty good with those. And excited to kind of continue to drop some new content every week from the podcast. So uh, if you're interested in a different style experience, uh, a little more you know, uh, combative style like Kellen and I usually bring to the table, feel free to check out the dime. And we also have the shorter 10 minute version called cannabis and 10 for all those who might be interested in the topic, but not really sure if it's a good fit for them. I encourage you to check that out. It's less than 10 minutes. And the last thing I'm going to end with is Sha Carrie Richardson. Nice. It's the hundred meter dash lady. Yeah. Her God kicked off the Olympic team for partaking in our industry. That's legal out here in Colorado. At least. Right. Right. She's like performance enhancer. What? Uh, wasn't she she was she took it to deal with depression too which is yeah. even more it, she, like it's even more, away, yeah think, it's right? even more ridiculous yeah. it's very sad i wonder if they just would have like classified it not as performance enhancer but like failed the drug test if it would have been a different outrage because performance enhancer is where i think people were like peds and they're like what she didn't do that just yeah it's stuff but good opportunity for marketing for her to hop in. So good for her if she She's she had to probably get some endorsement deals from cannabis companies, I'd imagine, right? Hopefully. I don't think she's looking I, to like you know, she wants I, to, yeah. I mean Yeah, that's a good point. The big jump. Gronk has a company, Turley has a company. There's there's some some real serious athletes with uh real serious 
companies in in the industry so. but look at it like with with body armor too right body armor got sold for a gazillion dollars there was a ton of athletes that got behind the formulation there and i think that's where we're going to see yep. a big jump with the cannabis and the fitness where from a recovery standpoint and a peak performance the these like top flight individuals are fighting in such a minute you know level differences that they need every single advantage and if they can kind of tweak their body for optimal performance why would they yeah, i mean the nba no longer drug testing their athletes like football there's a huge push right now to get people off opioids so i think that right there's a ton of potential right like i don't want to say it's the cure-all but i think that there's a lot of potential there from for athletes to be able to at least have options right like i i think it's tough that they're just kind of pigeonholed into you either get opioids or you're in pain those are your options right so didn't Michael Phelps come out um, yeah, as, a, as a big time THC user back yeah. in the day? Back yeah. in the day. Got flack for, sure. for that, I'm pretty sure. But. Oh, yeah. There was like an image that circulated of him like ripping a ball online. Yeah, <laughs> yep. I, <remember. laughs> I mean, it didn't, it didn't hurt his swimming. Well, you know, yeah, I'll agree right, with he that. Was like one of the most I heard he was, a pretty good, he was a pretty good swimmer, right? I would say. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Ricky Williams, right? He's back in the space, though. Yeah, he is back in the He should be. He was I mean, how many How many times did he fail? drug tests and they were just like oh you can keep coming back every time he's like uh gordon the wide receiver yeah (laughs) okay okay so i i want to thank you guys for being here uh but i i want to ask you one more question first okay when is federal legalization coming so let me let me ask a question before we, we dive into that is that when they agree on a date or when is that instituted throughout the United States? Uh, no, how about when they agree on a date? Oh, that's a good, that's a much better question in my opinion. I would say, see, this is where like my lack of understanding from a political standpoint is going to hurt us. Um, I would say 2023. And that's because I'm optimistic, Brian, and I'm back. Optimistic Brian back. Awesome. Kellen. Did you say 2023. No chance. Really? Okay. Yeah, I do. No I, th- chance. I think I think the Republicans get their bills through. That's really interesting. Wow. I do. I think it's got more support. I've read a lot. I haven't read the, the bill myself, but like I've read articles written by other people that have, and they say it's a it's a a lot more conducive to the industry as a whole. There's lower tax rates. There's it's it it has certain features in it that are going to garner more support from the it's it's more pro industry written. So I think you're going to get more support from the industry in general. And like at some point, the industry needs banking, and they're going to make they're going to have to make some compromises that aren't going to be the greatest compromises, but they're going to have to to be able to continue to grow. Or else, like, people are, there's just no reason to keep your money parked in a cannabis company at this point if they're going to continue to sell shares to generate capital to be able to to grow and expand. You know what I mean? You don't think so, they can accept banking without federal legalization? You don't think they can get banking through? Federal- I don't think, I don't think safe banking passes without federal legalization, though. I don't I, think, I think that you people, there's going to be too many people that don't understand the industry that are going to be putting the cart before the horse. I think that, like, from, if it was me and you, Brian... I understand exactly where your head's at, but like, I think that from a, a judging giving, the people in the room that are going to make those calls, I don't think they have the same understanding that we do of the industry. And I think that they're going to make ignorant decisions. Yeah. So the I, I, I just, is we're going to give drug dealers bank accounts. No, I disagree. I think safe banking gets passed next year. And I would love to say hundred percent, but of course what we've seen, it's impossible to say hundred percent with anything in this space. <laughs> um, and I think that what they're going to do is give the States a heads up and be like, you got to get yourself together because this is happening. I mean, think about it from like a, a South standpoint, Texas, like all those other big States that are, haven't been involved have to get their act together. And I think, uh, Shada was on our podcast and she said yeah. maybe three, there's only three active, uh, only three licenses in Texas. Only three licenses they've given out in Texas. So how can that state, I mean, they can, of course, but how quickly could they rally to get going? They they couldn't because those three licenses aren't exactly active either because their medical program is 2%. Yeah, it's a joke. But but that's where it's going to take time to build the infrastructure for the supply chain standpoint. There's so many layers to this that I think it's safe banking and then interstate commerce, then federal legalization. I'm going back to something Megan said, and I don't think that it needs to have an established industry. I think that the federal government can just be like, okay, states, you guys do whatever you want. And it's handled like alcohol. 
right? Like there are counties in the south of um, in south in the south of America, like in Alabama, in Georgia, in Florida, where you cannot buy alcohol. It is illegal to sell alcohol in counties in the south because they are dry counties. Yeah, so, we have those in New Jersey too. Yeah, see, so like I believe that like the federal government could be like, okay, it's legal from a federal standpoint. If you want it illegal in your state, that's the state to decide. Let the states figure it out. But the federal government's going to be like, whatever, you guys do your thing now. Just pay us tax revenue if you decide to sell cannabis. But see, this is this is where you're off, right? Is that a politician sees this as a feather in their cap and knows <laughs> okay. that they can put this on their resume. And I think at the end of the day, that's how the politicians do, right? They're trying to stack their resume to probably be elected again. And I think taking such a layup like this, where 68% of the Americans all vote in favor of this, which is pretty wild, right? If we take a step back and think like, what other item can 68% of Americans agree on? And I wonder what number two on that list like, really would be. <laughs> but like, that's a wild number. Lower taxes is probably number two. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. Maybe you're right. <laughs> There's some pretty little people out there. Uh, awesome. Well, I thank you guys. I had to ask the question. I know you, uh, at least for a long time, you ended the dime with, with essentially that question. And I, I I love the perspective, how it evolves. Uh, I'm pretty sure I was pretty sure Kellen was going to say 2024. That's what I usually say. I flipped it though. I flipped it. You like that? He he didn't want to play. He didn't want to play pessimistic Kellen like always. I think he wanted to kind of. I'm in a good mood today. Oh, well, that's great to hear. Well, it's it, thank you again for for being here with us today. It's an exciting time to be in the cannabis industry, and uh, just like everybody else, we are real eager to see what twenty twenty two will bring. Yeah, that's great. Thanks so much for your time, guys. Thank you. Thank you.